Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Malin, and I'm so excited to be here with you. So on today's episode, we're talking about shopping for fabric. We know quilters love to visit their local quilt shops, so we're giving a few suggestions on how much of a fabric to buy when you don't have a specific plan for it. We'll also be talking about how one of our editors stores her fabric, our upcoming trip to Quilt Market in Houston, and a few tips for pinning your projects. And on this episode's Getting Social, we'll chat with Nicole of Modern Handcraft, who shares some details about her new winter pattern and gives some tips for straight line quilting. And just a warning before we start, I had a little bit of a cold when we recorded this episode, so please try to ignore my deep and muffled voice. I'm here with Joanna Bergerino, the editor of Quilts and More, and today we're talking about a topic most quilters love, shopping for fabric. Ooh, I love this topic too. <laughs> Have you ever found yourself at your local fabric shop and a particular print catches your eye in such a way that project or no project, you just have to have it? I know for me, I'm a goner if there's a new cute novelty print, especially a seasonal one, and I have trouble using novelty prints, but I just collect them like like a hoarder. Um, usually for basics, I can wait until I have a project in mind, but those novelty prints, I just, I know they're not going to be there when I come back with an idea in mind. How about you, Lindsay? Is there a particular type of fabric you find just too irresistible to pass up? Yeah, I'm usually on the lookout for black prints or really small geometric prints um, for like backgrounds. Those I use from my stash all the time, so I'm always in need of them. Um, but also, as an owner of a cat, I always seem to end up with one or two fat quarters of a kitty print just because. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I'm like that with dog prints, so I, I hear you. Um, but yeah, if you don't have a materials list in front of you, how much should you buy? I actually get this question a lot, especially from newer quilters or those who are trying to build up their stash. Sometimes impulse purchases don't always look as good when you get home, and you have maybe a little bit of buyer's remorse. Or if you hold them up to the rest of your stash, you're just not sure how they all go together. So if your goal is to use the fabric you have, it can be a little tricky to know the right amount of to buy, so that you don't end up with uh, not enough to make a project or two, or maybe you end up with so much that it's just taking up a lot of valuable shelf space. I feel like for most quilters, the amount varies between a half yard or one and a half yards, but there are a lot of factors that go into calculating the right amount, and I feel like those are really important to know, and that's really going to determine what's the right amount to buy for you. So here are five favorite tips and things to consider when you're deciding how much to buy. So number one, I would say decide what kind of fabric buyer you are. Are you someone who prefers to have a lot of extra, or do you hate having a lot of leftover? I mean, I know some quilters where scraps bother them, so. That's me. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it, but. <laughs> um, is price a consideration? If there's a one-time sale going on, I know I will buy a lot more than I will if there's not a sale going on, because you know, at that point, it's just worth it to grab it while it's on sale. Uh, some quilters prefer more generous cuts, or they like techniques such as fussy cutting or foundation piece piecing, which require a lot more yardage. I know some quilters who always buy at least a yard of fabric because they don't want to find themselves in a situation where they run out. Determining what you're comfortable with in your own sewing personality, I would say, is probably the biggest factor in figuring what, out what the right amount is for you to get of a print, or any fabric really, versus what's the right amount for another quilter. 
Personally, I'm really comfortable going scrappy with my projects or, you know, finding a similar fabric if I run out and then just filling in in such a way that it doesn't feel like I ran out. So I like to buy fat quarters of similar colors so that I can interchange them. Lindsay, how about you? What kind of a fabric buyer are you? <laughs> I'm similar to you. So if I don't have a plan for a fabric, I'll just buy a fat quarter of it. Mm -hmm. But if I think it's the perfect fabric for something like a backing or binding, I'll buy more of it. So for instance, many times I like to use a larger scale print on the back. So I may buy mm -hmm. up to three or four yards if I think there is potential there. And for binding fabrics, which I always really love stripes, I'm on the lookout Ooh, for good too. stripes. I love a good um, stripe. Yeah, so I'll sometimes do half a yard of those if I find a good one. But mm -hmm. um, something else you may want to consider when you're shopping, though, is how much space you have. Mm -hmm. So we hear from a lot of listeners that space and fabric storage can be a real issue, especially if you like to keep a tidy workspace like me. As I like you. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have a lot of space to store the fabric, you might want to go for smaller cuts. This seems pretty, <laughs> pretty yeah. easy to remember, but it can be hard when you get into the store. It's so, very tempting sometimes. Yeah. But so that two yard cut of fabric is a lot harder to store than a half a yard. So if you don't have a plan for the fabric and space is at a minimum, only buy a small amount. True. And keep in mind that that can change for you. So I recently moved into a bigger sewing space and now I have to retrain my brain that it's okay to buy yardage. I have a spot for it. Whereas yeah. before I really didn't. Exactly. So the next two things to consider go together. They are to think about what you're likely to use versus what looks really cool in the store and to think about what else you have that will go with the fabric. This one might feel a little bit like a no-brainer, but it's so tempting when you get in the store, and I've fallen victim to this too. So on display and with the lighting and the samples around it, the fabric looks so vibrant and beautiful. For me, it's usually very bold and bright, but then I get home and I realize the fabrics I usually use are pastels. <laughs> and it doesn't go with anything. Um, so by all means, if it speaks to you, don't skip out on that fabric. Just be aware that maybe you don't want to buy a ton of it. Maybe you want to use it as an accent. You can fill in better with what you already have. So definitely okay to differ from your usual style, but you know, be mindful of that when you're buying so that you don't end up with a lot of something and then realize you have no idea how to use it. Right. And the last thing to consider is the scale of the, fab the print and how easy the fabric might be to use. So if the fabric is large scale, such as a panel or a large floral or paisley, you probably want to get a larger amount of fabric, otherwise you won't get the full repeat. And it would be a shame to get a large scale fabric only to find the design is cut off because you got a smaller cut. <laughs> Small scale fabrics don't have this problem with the repeat because it usually isn't as large of a repeat. But if you like to use small-scale prints for backgrounds in your blocks, you may consider buying a larger amount of your favorite background colors to have on hand, especially because small-scale prints are usually pretty timeless and can be used in most of your projects. Absolutely. Small-scale prints are usually some of my favorites for that very reason. So these are our five favorite things to consider when buying fabric. I can just imagine we might have a few listeners out there who are thinking, that's great and all, but I really just want some numbers. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just you just need an answer. So uh, you're in luck because we actually have a handy downloadable chart that you can take with you to fabric shops. It covers types of fabric, 
what each is usually good for, our suggested amount to buy, and even a padded amount if you're someone who likes to buy a little extra just to be sure. We'll be posting that link in the show notes so you can find that there. Perfect. And um, just keep in mind, it's a starting point. There's really no wrong amount to buy. If we suggest a half yard and you want to get two yards or go crazy and get like five (laughs) yards, that's great. So I'm sure the fabric will look fantastic in any project you use it in. It's all a matter of perspective. Thanks so much, Joey. And I'm sure our listeners will love these tips next time they're fabric shopping. Yeah, go buy lots of fabric. It's fun. (laughs) Or smaller amounts. Or smaller (laughs) amounts. We'll be back after this quick ad break. We're back with Joanna for Ask Us Anything. So today's question was submitted by Donna Bennett, and she said, what's your favorite way to store fabric, especially if you don't have tons of space? So I actually get this question a lot, and I empathize because I always feel like I have more fabric than storage space. No matter how many times I clean out prints, I'm not that likely to use. I'm partial to plastic shoe boxes with lids to keep the dust out. That's usually something that's kind of a concern for me and how my space is set up. If I fold my fabric pieces just right, I can fit them inside uh, one shoe box in a big row, so just stacked in order. I got several multi-packs of matching plastic shoe boxes from my local Target, but any big box store will work. Um, and then I got enough so that I could do one shoe box per color of fabric prints. If you have a built-in bookcase or shelving unit, they're great for storing fabric. I like to arrange my shoe boxes on the built-in bookcase in color order and then pull out boxes as I need them. My biggest problem is that I'm horrible at putting the boxes back when I'm done. So if you keep up with it, it's a really good storage system. A friend of mine has a kind of similar storage setup where she has a desk that has a built-in shelf and she likes to arrange her fabric there. She doesn't bother with any shoe boxes because the way her desk is constructed, she doesn't have to worry about light and dust hitting her fabric, which is nice for her. She can just have the fabric out, but I would suggest for most people you're going to want some kind of cover on it just to protect your precious fabric. But the method works really great for small pieces. If you have a lot of yardage, though, I really like using pants hangers, the kind where there's multiple rungs on one hanger. I can put my yardage on the hanger and then slip it into the corner of one of my closets. I would just suggest making sure it's a less used closet, though. If you're putting it where all your clothes are, you might get really confused in the morning when you're actually reaching for your pants and you find all your yardage. So (laughs) it's nice to have a space for everything. Thanks, Joanna. You're welcome. Next is What We're Loving, a segment where we share the trend, pattern, or a person we're loving right now. So, Joanna, what are you loving? Well, right now, I am loving Quilt Market, so kind of a different take on that. But for any who don't know, Quilt Market is the biggest quilting trade show in the country. It's held twice a year for quilting industry professionals, and many companies use it to showcase their latest and greatest products and quilting innovations. It's not actually until October 26th through 28th, but we're already starting to plan around the office for our trip and all of the people we want to meet and all the influencers and see all the trends, which is always so much fun. And my favorite part is seeing all the new fabric lines. This is the part that a lot of people who don't get to go get jealous about because we get to see everything early. So for the last few markets, we've been seeing lots of adorable llama and woodland animal prints. And I just can't resist cute fabric in general, but cute critters are like, (laughs) oh, they're like my kryptonite. So I absolutely love the fact that I get to see all of my favorite designers and their latest cute designs and maybe grab a pumpkin spice latte with them. The fall uh, market is just always my favorite one. 
So it really does feel like playing catch up with old friends. If you'd like to see some of the staff's favorite finds and trends, you should follow along on All People Quilt on Instagram between October 26th and 28th. You really should follow along anyway because we're awesome and we have <laughs> lots of awesome content. But you should definitely follow along in particular during Quilt Market because we'll have lots of goodies to show you. Yeah, so we'll be posting live from the show. So I'll be mm -hmm. doing all the social media so that you can see pictures like of what we're seeing and loving. So you'll be there right with yep. us, it will seem like. The most exciting time <laughs> of the year for us. Yeah, absolutely. Like Christmas for quilters. <laughs> well... I do love Christmas. <laughs> Maybe let's not go overboard. <laughs> but it is very cool. Now Joanna and I are jumping into Back to Basics, a segment where we share tips and tricks about a sewing tool or a technique. Joanna, what are we learning today? So I think you're going to be on pins and needles for this one. Well, just pins actually, because today <laughs> I'm going to share a couple of my favorite tips regarding pinning. The first tip I have is that the pins will better hold your seam together if you place the pin perpendicular to the seam. I know a lot of quilters like to place the pins parallel to the seam. I did too when I first started quilting. If it works for you and you're getting accurate seam allowances, then go for it. After all, I'm not the quilt police. However, after switching over to pinning perpendicular, I have to agree that it's kind of a little bit better, at least for me. It makes it easier to manipulate the fabric if you need to scoot it in place a little bit as you sew, if it's shifting. and a lot of quilters like how you can place the ball of the pin pointing to the right so that you can easily pull them out without poking your fingers on your right hand as you guide your fabric through. I actually like to have the ball of the pin pointing to the left though, because um, I like to pull them out with my left hand. I'm right-handed, I have no idea why I like to do that, but it works. So if it yeah, works, it might just be you, something to try. I always have mine pointing to the right too, but I might mm -hmm. try the left and see how I like it. Yeah, I've, I've just kind of found that I can guide with the right and yank them out with the left. And I'm like, I'm ambidextrous, except I'm not. Yeah, it probably depends on where you like to put your pin cushion too, if you're using one of those. That's true. So yeah, experiment with what works for you, for sure. Uh, the second tip is to scale your pins to match your project. If you're doing applique with small pieces, sequin pins are going to be such a help. If your pin is too long for your project, you run the risk of stabbing yourself as you try to work. Speaking from experience, it really hurts. Uh, in addition to scale, certain types of piecing are easier with particular types of pins. So, for example, flower head pins lie flatter than a ballpoint pin, and because of that, they're great for foundation piecing, because when you're folding back the papers, it'll lie nicely against the pin rather than bunching. Great tips. Thanks for those reminders, Joanna. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social with Jess. I'm your host, Jess Ziegler. This week, I'm bringing you my conversation with Nicole Dex Savage, who you might know as at Modern Handcraft on Instagram. And Modern Handcraft is her website and blog as well. Um, so this is me pretty much geeking out about her new pattern called Snowflake. And I talked to her about that. And then also get some straight line quilting tips because she's the queen of straight line quilting. Um, so I hope you enjoy this interview. Here's Nicole. Welcome to the podcast, Nicole. Could you give our listeners a little bit of a personal background and a quilting background? Uh, sure. So I grew up in Texas. My mom sewed my clothing as a child, so I've always been around a sewing machine. I kind of learned a little bit from her, but I actually didn't start sewing until I want to say around 2005, whenever I moved into my first house and I wanted to make like curtains and pillows and things like that. And I was, I guess, quilting blogging was really going strong then. So I started following a lot of 
people back when, you know, the sidebar of the blog had a whole list of who to follow next. You would Absolutely. just go down the list and you see constant inspiration all day long. Yeah. So it was back when that was a, a big thing. And that's when I first saw quilting in a modern way. And I was instantly hooked. I wanted to start making, you know, like a pillow here or there, really basic stuff. I kind of pretty much taught myself to quilt by following tutorials on people's blogs and YouTube videos that were around back then. So, and then um, as far as making it into a business aspect, I did blogging for several years, uh, doing tutorials for a few different companies. Um, I did stuff with like ThermoWeb, Sizzix, Timeless Treasures, some different fabric companies doing tutorials for them, getting it, you know, a feel of taking photos, editing photos, writing the instructions. And that was just like a natural leeway into doing patterns. Yeah. So that's how that all started. <laughs> when did you start your blog? Uh, I would believe it was 2011. So it was the year my son was born, which okay. was just perfect time to start something busy when you have it. <laughs> And I followed you for a while now, like you were a flight attendant. I mean, up until recently, how how did that transition go? Was that natural? Oh, for goodness. You? So I was a flight attendant for about 12 years. And um, the reason I left is because we moved to Indianapolis, where I currently live. And commuting to Chicago got to be really difficult. But a way that being a flight attendant and quilting worked out really well for me is that I worked three days a week. So I was literally home four days. And I'm like, I, sh- I need something to keep busy. And so that's kind of how it became like a hobby for me in the beginning, just kind of wanting to have a creative outlet. So yeah, and that's also where I started doing a lot of hexies. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't travel with a sewing machine, so I'm like, what can I work on for a project that uh, I can have an end result with? And I'm like, well, I can just do English paper piecing. So I would literally, on the long flights, sit in the back jump seat, just stitching away. I would get lots of weird looks from people. <laughs> <laughs> or sitting in the hotel room. So uh, yeah, that's kind of how the whole Hexy thing started for me was uh, when I was flying and uh, having something creative to do on the road, which was nice. I feel like your Hexies are iconic, just the uh, way you yeah. laid them out. Was that the first pattern then that you published or or how yeah. did... What, oh yeah, okay. It was. Uh, <laughs> and the funny <laughs> thing is I was actually doing a podcast with someone else uh, about six months before I released that pattern. And we were just talking about free tutorials I had on my blog and they were very insistent they're like you should just make this into a pattern uh-huh. like, well, let's put on my blog for someone they're like just do it trust me figure out a way you know you should release this as a pdf pattern or a printed pattern either one and I, I listened to them and definitely made the right decision it pushed me into doing something where actually you can make some money from quilting which is yes. kind of hard <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is I'm pretty much obsessed with your snowflake quilt pattern. Um, just describe a little bit of what it's like. Um, so it came out October 1st and the sew along started on October 7th and it runs until December 9th. Okay. So there's still time to join the quilt along. Definitely. I have it spaced out over 10 weeks just to make it easy to do. The blocks really don't take that long to do, uh, but it's over like Halloween and Thanksgiving. So I wanted people to be able to jump in at any time, take a break for two or three weeks and not feel like, oh, it's hopeless. I'm so far behind. I can't join in. So kind of a little bit more manageable. Great. Okay. So it's a, it's a simple modern style Mm -hmm. and I believe you have different options as far as how many colors you use and you can make scrappy. (laughs) 
just tell me. It kind of got crazy. I started with one idea of just doing the solid background, the black and white version some people have seen. And then I was like, oh, well, how these blocks are spaced out, I could actually do a four color background. And that would be easy to convey in the pattern in the instructions. And then I wanted to do a scrappy version too. So there's three different versions you can make from this. And it's, I have it listed as a beginner pattern because the scrappy version is essentially just squares and half square triangles. I have it split up into 20 blocks, so it's very manageable. You're not making these huge long rows of squares that kind of get wonky and uneven. So it is block-based. And then you have the one color and the four color version. And I have instructions in the pattern for those, and those are larger blocks. So you can get done quite a bit faster without cutting as much and sewing as much. Right. It's not necessarily a pixelated. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's so cool. I So as a pattern writer myself, occasionally, like Mm -hmm. there are quilts that come along that I'm like, oh, I wish I would have designed that. It's so awesome. All the time. I I love it. I guess also for the winter months, like it doesn't have to be Christmas. That's the other thing. That's the exact reason I wanted to do something that was not necessarily a Christmas quilt. Because you may not even celebrate Christmas. Or let's say you're like me and I like to have holiday stuff out way too early. (laughs) Like I literally, I probably put my tree up in November. Second week of November, it used to be the first. So I'm getting (laughs) a little better. Uh, But I like to have it out through February. And I mean, it's still snowing here in Indiana, shoot, till March. So I could have the tree out half the year. So yeah, definitely wanted to make it so you could use Christmas fabrics. You could just use colors that you have in your home if you want to. It doesn't have to be Christmas at all. It could be whatever you want to make it. That's so great. Well, congratulations on just being brilliant. And... (laughs) I also wanted to pick your brain. You're kind of known for your straight line quilting and straight line quilting especially looks amazing on this snowflake quilt. Could you tell us like kind of your process, how you approach straight line quilting when you're, you know, working on your projects? Oh, definitely. So one of the things that actually drew me to modern quilting is seeing a project that had really clean straight line quilting. It was just something I had not seen before. Um, That's kind of what hooked me into quilting to begin with. So it's kind of been something I, you know, just enjoy doing. And I feel like anyone can do it. If you have a sewing machine and you have a walking foot, pretty much essentials for any kind of quilting. So um, I feel like you don't necessarily have to have a a special skill like free motion quilting. It just takes practice. Yes. Um, So I definitely say, you know, give your time, give yourself some time to practice. Start with a one inch space on your, if you have a walking foot, get yourself a guide bar. If you don't Mm -hmm. have one, if you can use that on your machine. It just, I like to pin base my quilts. I feel Mm -hmm. like that helps a little bit. Um, And I just start from one end and work my way to the other side. Just quilting straight lines. That sounds too simple. Easy, (laughs) easy to, I mean, it's very simple sounding, but some tricks I like to do along the way is a lot of times you'll be, you know, after a few rows, you feel like, okay, I feel like this isn't straight or it's getting kind of like wonky or off center. I like to use a hair marker with an acrylic ruler or painter's tape to just make myself a line every five inches. Oh, great. Keep myself on track. And if Mm -hmm. you really look closely at my quilts, you can see where I've kind of gone off course a little bit. But once it's all together, yes, as long as you space yourself out like every five inches or so with a line as a guide, it totally, um, you'll be fine. Yeah. And just practice. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And you're starting in the middle of a quilt typically? Well, I do both. I start in the middle. 
Um, so I'll either start at one end if I'm doing larger one inch uh, lines and I'll just go from one side to the other um, or I'll start in the middle and go to the right. But then when I come back to the middle to do the other side, I don't I don't like to flip my quilt around mm -hmm. because I feel like when you do that, no matter how well you have it pinned or spray basted, you're going to get some sort of wrinkle in there in the mm -hmm. middle part. So I like to start in the middle, go to the right, go back to the middle and then start uh, using my guide bar or the uh, if I'm doing like half inch spacing, mm -hmm. I'll actually just use the width of my walking foot mm. to give myself a guide to go the other direction. So you're just rolling up the bulk of the quilt uh -huh. then when you start. Okay, that's interesting. Very good. That's a great tip. How big of a quilt have you done walking I've done with the walking full foot? Full size. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, maybe a little bit larger than full size in that way. After that, <laughs> you might need to hire a professional. <laughs> I will say if you have the space to where you can maybe quilt something on a dining table or add a little adjustment to the side Ooh, of your table just to yes. hold the weight of that quilt, yep. get good straight lines. Otherwise, I mean, it, when it pulls and tugs, I feel like you're going to have a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yep. Also, quilting gloves. You got to have gloves. <gasps> yes. You use them. All the difference in the world. Okay. Great tip. Do you have any guidelines for when you're using safety pins to baste? Like how, how many do you use? Oh, um, let's see. So I pretty, <laughs> I use however many I have. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Which is, you know, not a very scientific answer there. Um, usually like to space them out every two or three inches. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of safety pins. So I think I've just accumulated them over the years and I don't buy anything. They're all different sizes. Some are curved, some are straight. Um, I just use what I have. You know, you don't have to go out and buy the fancy basting pins. Oh, sure. I didn't, yeah, uh, they all work. They all work just fine. <laughs> do you have, do you have a, a, is it called a quick clip? Or how do you do the closure? I don't. I need one what? so badly. I know I, every time I see someone post about it, I'm like, why don't I order one of those things? And then I forget about it. And then I see it again. I have a terrible fingernail on my left. <laughs> And my thumb, it just gets like ruined, but it's okay. <laughs> or, you know, a $5 investment, you know, either I know, way. I know. If I just, I'm going to make a note of it right now. I'm going to buy one of these. Okay. <laughs> oh, I, when I, before I had my long arm, I used, I think I had a couple of them and I just didn't know how people could do it without it. Well, I started by using one, so I never had. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> just one of those things. Um, it seems like there was something else I was going to, oh yeah, your, um, rope bowl. I oh! just recently saw that you, well, you make rope bowls and yeah. a lot of people do. And you use your rope, rope bowl to store your safety pins. And then you have your um, clips on the side. Yeah. I just cleaned my sewing room again for the millionth time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's like, a you know, if you make a smaller size, it's the perfect holder for your uh, pins. And then the little clips just clip right on the side. It yes. Out. When I saw that, I thought like, oh, yeah, that's that's brilliant. It's, they're <laughs> easy to get to. And yeah, it looks cute. <laughs> it does. Very good. Well, Awesome. It's been so great to chat with you. Thank you for all your tips. And oh. I look forward, I always look forward to see what you're cooking up next because you are full of great ideas. I love your modern aesthetic. So keep doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you, <laughs> I had so much fun talking to Nicole. She is literally the best. Um, I'm Jess. I'm Threaded Quilting on Instagram. If you ever want to get a hold of me, I would love to hear from you. Um, yeah, other than that, please have a great week. Bye.